So today I want to talk about reverse, remember, and renew. In 1966, the Beatles' Revolver album added a secret message related to rumors about Paul McCartney being dead. They used a recording technique known as backmasking. It was a process where you embed a message into an album's recording, but the only way you can hear it is by playing the record backwards. Some of you are probably familiar about with this. Uh, it became very controversial, of course, because you had the bands that usually tried to uh, utilize this um, were throwing in all kinds of terrible messages. So it created a whole system of censorship and such that came about. Uh, but one example that I will say that I, I can share and I think is, is safe enough to share um, is, as an example is Fire on High by ELO, which I love ELO's music. Um, but, uh, but when you play that particular track, it's kind of this weird, eerie sound as you play it forward and there's this going on in the background. And when you play that in reverse though, it says the music is reversible but time is not. Turn back, turn back, turn back. Like an album that's been backmasked, turning the record of messaging backwards is sometimes good for us. I think all too often we find ourselves coming to church each week listening to that weekly sermon and saying, what's next this week for this week now and where I'm at. But unfortunately, like like our family that we have been adopted into by Christ, we can forget a much bigger picture that's happening, a much bigger story and a much bigger message that's being shared. And so sometimes we need to stop and actually look and go backwards with some of what we've heard to actually enlarge what God may have been saying. That's kind of how his providence works though. It's kind of that backward glance and you go, ah, and that's kind of what's been on my heart a lot lately, is that ever since we've entered into this, this phase, ever since we had the announcement from Jordan, ever since all that ball started rolling, there's been sort of this, this concern and this, this desire and, and even this calling and longing for what is next, what's, what's today? And I couldn't help but stop and actually think through for a moment, what were some of the sermons that we've heard over the past several months where maybe God had been speaking all this time to prepare us for this moment. And as I did that, it really, it really opened my eyes and my ears in ways that uh, I found rather encouraging. And um, I hope it will be for you. What I hope for us to see together is how just like smooth stones sitting in a river or water's just rushing over them day in, day out, but the water never penetrates, we can do that here sometimes. We can have the water of life rushing over us constantly and it just doesn't penetrate. And so today I hope that God would penetrate us with his word, that he would break in this morning as we reverse a bit and remember, and maybe renew um, our understanding of who he is and what he said. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for how you are a God who is not silent, but who speaks 
a God who directs and a God who is outside of our time, outside of the moments of calamity and distress and anxiety that we find ourselves in from time to time. You are always there though. You're working within our time. You're, you're guiding and directing us and moving things in place, Lord, you, so that we would be stretched and grown. We ask now, Lord, that you would take your word and help it, Lord, to apply to us. Not just this psalm, but Lord, as we look back and listen once again to some of the things that you have shared with us, uh, bringing us to this day. Pray to Christ's name. Amen. So I want to start by looking at Psalm 77. Dean got to preach on Asaph, one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 73, last week. Um, one that I have gone to time and again in moments of, uh, of yes, discouragement and, uh, and confusion. And I have seen that also help others along the way. But today, we've got another psalm of Asaph, Psalm 77. And I'm going to pick up at verse 7, which reads... Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembles, trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we see Asaph once again is pouring out in a vulnerable way, very honest and vulnerable way, what he's feeling what he's, he's getting a sense of once again in this moment of trouble. And although the cause of what Asaph is concerned about and what is troubling him and why he's so anxious is not given to us specifically, in verse 2, it actually indicates within the Hebrew the, the word for trouble that, that Asaph uses is that it's something that is causing him to feel cramped, restricted, constricted. Asaph's feeling like he's in dire straits. He's trapped with no way out. Thus, the use of Exodus language in the second portion of the psalm makes it clear that Asaph is looking for deliverance. He's looking for a way out. So in verse 10, when he says, I appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High, he uses this word appeal to sort of convey this act of turning for assistance. I think we've all been there. We've, we've all found ourselves appealing to the right hand of the Most High 
We've turned and said, we need assistance. We need direction. We need to know. We need something. The turn is a form of repentance or a reversal that we're making. And that's kind of what we're doing now, just even with looking back with the messages. But it's something we must be willing to do. It's the willingness to look back and seek where we have missed the Lord's admonitions and warnings amidst these choppy waters that will help us to move forward. One, one uh, time after we had a congregational meeting not too long ago, and I shared with you guys that at Covenant, they, they really kind of started when I got there the importance of story. Learning to tell your story well. And the thing they would say is if you do not know or learn how to tell your story well, your story will tell you. And there's something about going into our story. There's something about having to look back into some of those places that were hurtful, that were shameful, that were just places we don't necessarily want to revisit because it brings memories up. It brings feelings up. You know what I'm talking about. You can think or hear a song. You can smell a scent and suddenly you're drawn back to a place and some of those places you really don't want to revisit again. You sort of get a queasiness in your stomach. Your body draws up a bit. Because maybe it reminds you of a childhood memory that you wished would just go away. And it had gone away for a while. But story's important because it helps us to go backwards and look and see the thread of God's grace woven in our lives that brings us right here to this moment. No matter what it looks like. Knowing that we have Christ and he has us. And so it's good for us to look back. Hindsight is 2020. We all say that. And I think this is a moment where we can look back and, uh, and hopefully see God's hand of grace and his woven grace through where we are. All right. So last week, let me go ahead because we're about to just go into a recap. So buckle your seats. I'm going to run through some, some sermons that have spanned over a course of months. Last week, Dean brought us to Psalm 73, where we were cautioned against consumerism in the church and gaining a right perspective and attitude from Christ to see things rightly as they should and to be reminded that God is with us and has not left us. Joel took us to Revelation 2 and called us to remember our first love, Jesus. And what does that look like when we live that out? What does it look like when we have our first love, Jesus, with us, first and foremost, when we go out in the community, when we deal with one another, when we, when we care for one another in our homes? Matt Horn, my buddy from, from seminary, came and talked, taught from Luke 9, 19, Jesus, Zacchaeus, and the crowd. The crowd reminded us to be careful with loving the bread and the healing over loving others, including our enemies, as we've been loved by God. He also reminded us that Christ pursues sinners and that we can see his transforming work of grace that happens in Zacchaeus when God gets a hold of us. I spent three weeks going through Colossians 3, probably easily forgotten, I got you. But we talked about looking to the things above, where Christ is seated and where we are, hidden with him. 
We talked about Christ being our hallelujah life. We looked at Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who found the way of celebrating life together in the midst of real persecution and suffering. He entered into that realm. We talked about family ties. We even had a nice little song that we sang together with a sha-la-la-la. The family ties we have in Christ's love together. The fixer-upper that we are in process. I also talked about the caution of, of the existential threat of existentialism. The cult of choice, if you will, of our day. I recently had a conversation with, with our neighbor that lives above us. They just moved here uh, last semester and um, they're from Shanghai, China. And sweet family, um, and he's studying, getting, trying to get his, uh, his MDiv. We got in conversation, I was asking him, what is the difference as, as he's here learning and really experiencing Western America and church and wanting to learn? And he said, I wanna learn as much as I can from Western American church. And I said, well, what have you learned so far? What's one of the big differences that you've seen in your time here versus in China and what it's like for Christians? I know it's not as easy for Christians, but what do you notice about the community? He said, they're far more individualistic here. And there's far so many choices for people that they don't know how to stick together. He said, less community being bound together through thick and thin because there's so many choices. That really hit me to hear him say that. Someone who comes from a place where they don't have many choices. And when things disrupt or something happens, a leader has to go, things go wrong, or they're just not quite their cup of tea, they have to learn to do life together. They have to work through those things because there's not a whole lot of other options. You also have to know what you believe out there because to be public with it can mean very real physical persecution. I also talked about James chapter one, enjoy in the midst of trials. Talked about the opportunity God gives us in trials where he shakes us so that our roots get deeper into Christ. We also are reminded with BK Burger King crowns. I, I meant to have that picture up there, by the way. I really failed on that. I meant to have y'all's picture. We were reminded with Burger King crowns that there are no crown wearers in heaven who are not cross bearers here on earth. Before that, we went to Hebrews 6 and talked about our anchored hope, Christ, our forerunner, who anchors our hope and our life to himself and in the very presence of God. He secures us. He secures our hope. Dale Hollenbeck. We all remember good old Dale. He reminded us from Exodus, many other texts, of the very character, love, and strength of God. And he called us to be the missional outpost that Christ's church should be. Our brother Herman, he reminded us from John 15 what it means to abide in Christ and bear fruit that abides through the agape love of Christ. He also took us to Romans 12, 1 and 2, calling us to submit ourselves to the will of God as living sacrifices 
and the importance of committing ourselves to being truthful with one another. Step back one more Sunday from that was Jordan and Maribel's last Sunday. Jordan preached his first sermon that he ever preached at Highlands, which was John 20, the temporary importance of fear. He said this, fear makes rational people make irrational decisions. Fear God and big fears become small. Step back a little further from that, Herman preached on the battle, Romans 7. God desires to make you in practice who you are in position. April 3rd, Jordan preached on Haggai 1. Consider your ways. This was our vision Sunday. This is when we talked about ministry initiatives. It was a moment of real excitement for a lot of us. We saw two guys ready to become elders Listen to all that we've heard, you guys. Just up to that point, listen to all that God has said to us in this span of time. And I hope that you're starting to get a sense of the relevance of how God in his providence was speaking to us all the way back then for the moment now. And that's what he's done throughout the life of his people. Time and again, when you read the prophets, what do they do when it comes time to like find themselves in distress in a bad situation again? The prophets would come and invoke the story of God again. Look backwards, you guys. Remember who delivered you from Egypt. Remember who took your fathers from here, brought them forward and brought them forward. Remember what was said back here by the prophets that you have forgotten. Listen. Hear. Obey. Turn back to him. Trust him. Remember that he is with us and he is for us because he has covenanted himself to us. And so even when we fail, he will not fail. If all it takes for, is for a pastor to be called away by God to serve at another body, for that body to break apart, we clearly have lost our head. We're not crazy, but we've lost our head. And so I would encourage us to seriously think through and contemplate and pray, Lord, where are you to my body? Where are you to our body? And then lead us from that point. This is not to villainize, not to shame or guilt anyone who have honestly sought the Lord and are going and assimilating into other congregations because, again, I've said it again and again, the body of Christ is much bigger than us. That's the beautiful thing. That's why talking to a brother from Shanghai, China about the church in China is a beautiful thing because it is much bigger. But for us here at Highlands, we have to ask ourselves, who is our head? It's not me. It's not Justice or Mike. It's not even the Presbytery. It must be Christ. It must be the God that we are singing these songs to 
that we are lifting our voices high to, that we are bowing our heads and praying to and confessing to, because he's the one that's sure and true. When Asaph makes his reversal and shifts to remembering, he remembers the leaders. But even more than them, he recognizes who has used them as instruments, as vessels for his glory and power. It's Yahweh that Asaph is crying out to, not Moses, not David, not a well-organized temple program. It's God himself that he cries out and clings to. It's the providential deliverances of God that he recalls. It is God himself that he renews his hope in. Clearly, I haven't been keeping up with my slides here. Listen to what Asaph says in verses 13 through 15. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. With your arm, you redeemed your people. Like Asaph, we need to renew our hope back into the right head of this church, but first for our own lives. We need, to, we need to assume Christ's headship all over again sometimes. That's kind of like when Jesus says, daily take up your cross and follow me. There should be that daily renewal of, Lord, you are my head. Lord, I follow you. Where you go and where you call, I will go and I will follow. Paul reminds us in Colossians, seem to coming, keep coming back to Colossians, don't we? In Colossians 1, 15 through 23, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. In other words, leaders and authorities are at God's disposal. So when shifts and changes happen, that's the Lord at work. But he hasn't forgotten his people. They're for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that in everything he might be preeminent. That means above all else. All the things that we might want and feel like we we really, if, if only we had this or that, he has to be preeminent. He has to be, be preeminent to any sort of ideas and, and, and schemes that we might want to conjure up to, to fix the issues ourselves. He must be preeminent. He must be above and the head. Colossians 2, 19, Paul goes even further. He says... He is the head. Jesus is the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. We're all but pastors and elders or pastors, elders, leaders, congregants. We are all servants to the most high God. There's no one called to come and sit and just ride out the Christian life. We are all called to serve. We are all called to pitch in and build up the body, to encourage one another, 
to lift up the Lord together, to pick someone up when they're down. We are called to do that together. And he has gifted and given us abilities and, and strengths and ways of doing that, no matter how, what, what our age, what our stage is. The Lord has done that. So, one more message from the past, and it's one that I kept saying, well, I've already preached that. I can't come back to that. That's, that's like rerun, right? Well, here we are. I'm going to go ahead and rerun it a little. The first sermon I ever preached here, do you all remember what that was? Jeremiah 29, 11. It was during the misquoted series that we were doing. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. We talked about the shalom of God. God's peace, that it's not necessarily the word prosperity like in the NIV, it's actually welfare. It's, it's ultimate blessing and a peace that comes because the presence of God is with us. We are bound to him. And it gives us a sense of peace that circumstances cannot rob us of that joy and that peace that he gives us. We talked about who he was talking to, which were exiles in Babylon. They were camping out, huddled up together, kind of in the ghettos of of Babylon, probably just trying to figure out, okay, when are we going to go back? They had other prophets that were saying, hey, don't worry, it's not going to be that long. And God comes and says, it's going to be 70 years. Get comfortable. Because the call is this, that for your welfare to happen, you have to actually pursue the welfare of this city. You have to be my people where I have placed you, and you have to do the work that is to be done there. Be faithful to that, and in their blessings, in their welfare, you will find your welfare. Verse 7 of Jeremiah 29. I have a little bit of an affinity for providence at work because our whole journey here has been quite a work of God's providence. I shared my story. One message I forgot to mention was the look and live. Moses and the fiery serpents, you remember that? And in that sermon, I shared my testimony of where I met Christ, where Christ rescued me, where he found me at a place where I was getting ready to take my life, and he stopped me dead in my tracks with his word. When all hope was lost in my heart and in my mind, and in many people's minds as well, I had fallen so far away that there was no hope. There was Christ. There was forgiveness. There was grace and strength to move forward. And as I began to look backwards and see how God had worked His grace, I've, I've, I've had to do this. In fact, I had to do this as an assignment not too long ago before I graduated, where we had to go back to our story and look back and actually write about the graces of God woven through our stories of our childhood. And it's a beautiful thing to look back and see where things that I faced as a child with abuse and neglect and other things that I would not want to talk about on a regular basis. If only to share what Christ has done and how God in his wonderful loving grace and providence carried me through and uses that even today 
to minister to others, to help others in those moments. To look back at Providence and see that a hailstorm that destroyed our house right as we started trying to come to covenant three years before we were actually going to make it. Uh, four pretty important major deaths in our families. A wedding, um, all of which I was there and able to be with, we were, we were there to be with our family. Continued to push this covenant thing on and on and on. I kept pushing it down the road and I kept thinking, maybe this is God just saying now. This isn't how, this isn't it. I was right, it was a pipe dream. You have no business moving your family, selling all these things. No, just stay where you're at. That's probably it. I literally saw God. We, we have seen God work in ways when we look back where he just dropped things. But even those hard moments became ways of him providing. That delay set us up to a place where we sold our home and we had, we had actually made quite a good, a decent bit of money on the sale of it because the housing market started to climb right at that point three years later. In the midst of those funerals, we were able to, to be with our family and comfort them. I was able to marry my, my cousin and his wife. It was amazing to see this. And then there was a, a Van Gogh armoire and a Star Wars dresser that I made that I was commissioned to paint and, and, and create for a, uh, a family and their kids that turned into free airfare so that we could come and visit Covenant when it was time. They all worked for Southwest Airlines and they just happened to call up and say, hey, I know you mentioned you're thinking about seminary. If you ever need tickets or anything, let us know. We've seen God provide in ways where things just seem so hopeless and frightening because he works in a providential way. He works far outside of our, our realm and yet he's right here beside us. So I hope that today we would see that with Christ as our head, with the Lord before us and over us and with us and in us and through us, that there is always hope in every situation, every circumstance. And that whatever may befall, he will carry us through. He holds us fast. He'll see us to where we need to be. I love how brief and lovely the writer of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so is his missional call. So church, we must arise to that summons. We must go to our head and then we must become the hands and feet. And we're going to sing later what that means. But now, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who steps outside of time, who exists outside of time in our limited space, our limited view and perspective of things, and that, Lord, you are yet with us. And as you are with us, Lord, you are still orchestrating details that we have yet to walk into, things that we will see when we look back. When we, when we play the record back, we will hear your voice and we will see your hand and we will see you working in, in a much bigger way that has much more to do than just, just our individual selves, Lord. It's your body, your people. It's your story. 
And Lord, we are so thankful that because of your son, that we are a part of that good story, that we have been by faith welcomed into that amazing and beautiful story that will end with the restoration and the, and the culmination of one huge congregational assembly where we will celebrate and we will rejoice and we will feast together at the same table. But now, Lord, we ask you where we are right now that you would just renew us in your headship, that you would help us to remember that you are our God and we're your people. And Lord, that we would, we would listen and obey. I thank you so much for everyone here. I thank you, Lord, for the history of this place, of this church, those who have been here and who have since gone and, and contributed to other congregations and those who may still do that, Lord, we pray your blessing. But we also ask and pray your blessing on the work here. That if it is your will, Lord, you would see us through and see us to do a work that helps us to bless the people around us. Help us to look out and to see the need has not changed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.